Matthew chapter 5. So for the last few weeks, we've been studying on discipleship and making disciples and the Lord's command to uh, His church, each one of us called to be a disciple and called to to make disciples. And, you know, we've been focusing a lot on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where it says, Jesus said, all authority is given to me. In heaven and earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then he said, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. And so when we look at Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, known known as the Sermon on the Mount, um, this, this is where Jesus is preaching a message basically that is outlining... His kingdom purpose, kingdom laws, kingdom ways. Um, at this point, Jesus had been baptized by John. He had been tempted uh, for 40 days in the wilderness by the devil. He had began his ministry and had, he, had, he had more than 12 disciples, understand that, following him. Uh, he, had, uh, he had several disciples at this time uh, who were following him. And his message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus is the king who, when he came, he came to establish his kingdom on earth, purchased by his blood on the cross. And what, what, because what we have is you have two kingdoms represented. You have, um, and, and you're either part of one or the other. When you, when you look at the world as a whole, when you look at, at the Bible as a whole, that's what you see is you're going to see two kingdoms. One is represented, established by Satan through Adam. You know, Adam was was created by God, put here on the earth. Full authority was given to Adam. He was over everything, had dominion over th- over everything. God gave him the earth, and and um, and then all of a sudden, Satan comes along. He tempts, and Adam chooses to to believe the lie rather than trust in what God's word said. And so, therefore, the kingdom of darkness was established on earth. <clears throat> Later, all the way through the Bible in the Old Testament, God is preparing. To establish his kingdom on earth through Jesus, uh, the kingdom of heaven, the characteristics, the laws, the rewards, and the outcome of both are bipolar. Bipolar. And so Jesus begins to preach this message that describes the kingdom of heaven and how if you are a part of this kingdom, you know, here's the thing you gotta understand. God's, God's plan as far as salvation, as far as His church, as far as His purpose is far greater than a get together on Sunday. It's worldwide, okay? Throughout, throughout the world, it's, you know, throughout history, and God has something that He's doing, and He's establishing His kingdom. Here's the thing. Let me cover this real quick. Um, here's the thing. God created man so that we could have fellowship with him, so we could walk with him, so that we can know him, so that we could love him, we could experience his glory and his goodness towards us. He created everything that, that you see and that you don't see in order that, that, that we might enjoy and be a part of that. Sin has robbed us of that. 
it has perverted that. It, it has it has done everything it can do to destroy that. Sin separated mankind from God. And we began to be under the rule of Satan, under the rule of sin, bondage, all that kind of stuff. You know, you know the wording. And here's here's the thing. You're not waiting around as a believer to die and go up into the clouds, you know, and get your harp and get your wings and be an angel. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible does teach is there's going to come a day where where right now the kingdom of heaven as far as as far as in nature right now is spiritual. It's not what we see but what we don't see, okay? And and Jesus said the kingdom of God is within the heart of believers at this point in time. But it is visible in the sense that we live out what we believe and what's inside of us. And so that's how people see the presence of the Lord. That's how they see truth is when God's people become the body of Christ and we live out, you know, the invisible. We make it visible. But there's coming a day where Christ is coming again. Right now, there's two kingdoms on earth and he's going to come back and crush one of those kingdoms. And he's going to establish his kingdom. And then the kingdom of heaven will become physical and visible. If you'll read the book of Revelation. Christ is going to come back the first time. Known as the, most everybody heard of the rapture. He's going to call out those who are saved. You know. And then there's going to be a point in time when, in Revelation 19. Where Christ comes back. Battle of Armageddon. You're going to go through a time. I'm covering a lot right now, but you're going to go through a time period known as the millennial reign, thousand year rule on earth, and then there's going to be a judgment, a judgment on the final judgment on Satan, final judgment on believers, and then the Bible says that that this earth will be melted away with fervent heat. Doesn't mean it's going to be totally annihilated and destroyed and it's not going to be here anymore. It means God's going to remove everything to do with sin and the kingdom of darkness. And, and it says and in Revelation, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's where we're going to dwell for all eternity if you're a born again believer. If you're not a born again believer, you're going to spend your, Job actually calls it the prison of the dead. It's going to be hell for you. Okay. You make that choice. God doesn't, God doesn't send you there, you know, because he's, you know, ticked off. God, God basically honors your choice. If you choose to re- reject the grace of God, you choose to go, I'm going to walk in the way of sin. I'm going to be a part of the kingdom of the darkness. Then you're going to, you're going to get what the kingdom of darkness has coming. And so you decide what kingdom you're a part of at this point in time. And and, and here's the thing. I want, to, I want you to look real quick before I go into this because I'm going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for for quite a bit now. But I, but I want to show you something in chapter 7. When Jesus gets to the end of preaching this sermon, <clears throat> he talks about that day of judgment. And he says in uh, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name or preached? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done? We've done many wonderful or wonderful things, wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that practice lawlessness. If you have a King James, it says, you worker of iniquity. Iniquity means lawlessness. You don't live by any law. You don't live by God's law, okay? 
And, and so notice what it says in verse 24. This is, this is why I want you to pay really close attention. If you, get, if you get time over the next several weeks, just to read through this chapter, just chapter five through seven. Okay. Because if you're a believer and you're a citizen of the kingdom, this is what we're going to be held to. Now I'm not talking about for your salvation, but this is what God transforms our heart and our lives and we begin to live out chapter five through seven. Okay, if if you don't, then then you might wonder if your heart's been changed. Okay, because notice what he says in verse twenty four. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, he's talking about chapter five through seven, what he just preached, and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. And so the Lord's like, I want you to pay close attention to and not just to have knowledge of, but to obey the things I've commanded you. And not only in this message, but later on, and like Jake preached last Sunday, one of the commands that Jesus has was that we that we love one another, that we lay down our lives for the brethren. And so he adds to this, but this, when Jesus here, he starts off in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, he was seated, his disciples came to him. Now that's his main focus. His main focus is not the multitudes. At this point, he's, he's sharing this message with his disciples. The multitude are just gathering around listening. Said, then he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. And so, so here we're looking at this morning, we're going to focus on just three, but there's actually seven what we call beatitudes. I always wondered why they label these the beatitudes, okay? And basically what it is, if you're, if you're a born again believer, when you read through these seven, there's actually eight mentioned, but one of them is not, one of them is the result of this, okay? But there's seven, seven that Jesus teaches here, the seven blessings called Beatitudes, because if you are a believer, these will be your attitude. It's the traits, seven traits of a believer, and they go in successive order. When you're looking at it, it's the working of the grace of God by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in believers is to mold us and to make us mature believers. To form Christ in us that we would reflect the image of Christ. You'll get down, you'll go through the seven. And notice when you get down to uh, verse 10, it says, Blessed are those (coughs) who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, rejoice, be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted the prophets, they the prophets who were before you. And so that's going to be the result or the outcome of when you become in the image of Christ. This is the way the world responds to a believer who is living out their faith, walking in obedience to the Lord. If you want to be honest, this is probably going to throw up a bunch of red flags for some people. Because what we see in the church today in the United States of America doesn't necessarily match what we see Jesus is teaching here. 
<coughs> Excuse me. And so what I want you to do is look at this. And what it's going to help you do is I hope it helps you understand where you are in your walk with the Lord. Number one, if you have been saved. Number two, what God's Spirit's doing in you. And, and because a lot of things that happen to us, sometimes we, if we don't understand it, we don't respond right. And we begin to question God. Whereas when you look at the Word and you see what He's saying, you're like, okay, I see what's going on. Thank you, brother. I see what's going on in my life, and so therefore I can I can relate to this, and 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 I, actually this is this is going to give you affirmation or confirmation that the Lord is working in you, and you say I can see this in my life. I have this desire. Excuse me, because here's the thing: God's Spirit, God's Spirit changes your heart totally. And gives you the heart of Jesus. When you're born again, you have the heart of Jesus. The Spirit of God takes up residence in your body and influences your mind. Now listen to me, your mind is still corrupted by sin, but but now you have the Spirit of the Lord who is influencing and, and, and putting light into your mind rather than it being totally under the control of the depravity of sin and darkness. <clears throat> and in this, the Holy Spirit puts these desires in your heart. If you don't have these desires, quit making excuses and start searching to see, do I really have the Spirit of the Lord in my heart, okay? Because this is going to verify, it's not what the preacher thinks, it's what the king preached. And so he starts off, and and you'll notice every one of these kind of, if you don't understand them, you're kind of like, well, how could that be a blessing? Verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. And then you see the full maturity of the believer. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's talking about not not people who bring um, into conflict. But is bringing people to peace with God through the gospel. It means you you are mature as a believer when you begin to reproduce and make disciples. You, you, you preach the gospel of peace and people begin to turn their hearts to Jesus. Okay, and, and so looking at the first three, it starts off and it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So entrance, this talks about the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. Entrance to the kingdom of heaven begins in total poverty. Doesn't make sense when you think about the world because anything that you go to in the world that you get the benefits of does what? Requires a payment. If you go to a sporting event, you go to watch a game, you know, waste your money on the Dallas Cowboys, you're going to pay some money to get in there and watch a bunch of losers. And, and if you go to a college game, you're going to, you're going to pay money. Or if, even if you go just to a, you know, high school baseball game or whatever, everything to enter into that gate you have to have a ticket, you have to pay your money, and you go in and you begin to get the benefits. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to relate what we see in the world and make it fit in the kingdom. And the Lord's like, no, my kingdom doesn't work like the world. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean that you ain't got no money or that, that you're living under a bridge. It has nothing to do with that. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It means you come to the realization that when you compare what you have to offer to what it takes to to get you in, you recognize how poor you are. You know, I've said it before. What 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 does God require for a person to enter into the kingdom of heaven? A lot of people 
would have the offering just like we just read a while ago. Lord, did I, did I preach? And I cast out demons. Then we go to church. Then we give money. Then we do some good things. Then we read our Bible. Then we pray. You know, a lot, and a lot of people got the idea, that, and basically you might not understand, but a lot of times people, what you're saying is, this is my offering. And because I have something to offer to you, then now you can give me entrance into the kingdom. You know, that's called religion. That's what the Pharisee thought. The Pharisees thought, you know, if we hold these positions of authority, we pray long prayers in public where people see us, we give money, we have, you know, things we go to the temple and we we say, even though they didn't, we say we keep the law of God then that grants us access into the kingdom. And Jesus is like, no, in order to get into the kingdom, you have to recognize that you are a spiritual beggar. You have nothing whatsoever to offer to God that's going to grant any kind of access. You say, well, how is that? Because the price that is demanded is perfection. Absolute 100% perfection. Only 100% perfect people will gain entrance into the kingdom. Ain't nobody here 100% perfect. You know, it's kind of like this. You know, Red Red and Riker, they've been saving up every kind of... If you drop a quarter, now they're on this thing where they're grabbing it and they're putting it in the bag and... Me and David was with him the other day, and Rhett was carrying around a plastic bag of money, and <clears throat> he was talking about what he had and all this stuff. And you know, and they've got things in their in their little minds that they want and they desire. Things like I don't know, brand new cars and stuff like that. And they got like twenty bucks they've saved up, and they look at these things and go like, "This is what I have, so that means I can I can buy a new four wheeler. I can we can get this or we can get that." But when you actually look at at the price demanded compared to what they have, they are they are absolutely poor and bankrupt. It's kind of like going, well, they, if they want to go to the Honda dealership and walk in with his bag, he in his mind might go, I've got money. And I'm going to go in here and get what I want. And he's going to walk up, put his little bag on the on the deal. It's got like 21 bucks in it. And he's going to pick out, if I know him, the biggest thing in there that he can pick which is going to be about $35,000, they're, they're just going to be like, sorry about your luck. That's what, when, when you, here's the thing, when you muster up everything that is good, that you think is good in your life, everything that's going to impress God, all that you've done, all that you haven't done, and all that, it's like going, all right, God, here's, here's what, I've got 21.50, he's got a lot, it's going to be like 21 million for you to walk in here. And you come to the place to recognize, go, there's no way. There's no way I can ever come up with that. You know, I'm, what does that do? That, that puts me at a place of being a spiritual beggar. And here's the thing. Upon acknowledging that, we cry out. And what do we appeal to? To the love of Jesus. And that's what it takes upon interest. And, and when we come to the place we recognize, I am broken. I have nothing to offer God. This is the way, if you don't get anything else, I want to get this. This is the way God's kingdom works. God's kingdom is heaven coming down, not the earth reaching up. And so the way God's kingdom works is, is God is the one who reaches to us. It's God who's the one who provides everything. Grace is everything God has offered to who we are because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. 
And so you have to come to the place to where if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven and not only enter it, but you're going to have what God wants you to do, you have to learn to receive. Because nothing, nothing in the kingdom is earned or bought or produced by man. Everything. Grace means God provides everything. And God, through the riches of His grace, has provided a way that we can be forgiven in so much that if you was to walk up and they're like, in order for you to get in, it's going to cost 20 million bucks. I don't know anybody. Maybe y'all have that. I couldn't scratch the surface the rest of my life. $50 billion. Alright, let's just make it where it's impossible for everybody. $50 billion. Right? There's no way. And there's somebody standing there who's like, you know what, I really love you. And I'm willing to pay that if you'll just receive that from me. You would have to humble yourself, recognize the only way I'm getting in through this gate is if he pays my price. And God loves you so much, he's willing to pay that price. And he paid that price on the cross so that we could have this. Look in uh, look, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. We got that up there? There we go. Look at this. Notice what it says. It says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption. That means we've been redeemed from the curse of sin. How? Through his blood. It's all about him. What do we get from that? The forgiveness of sins. What sin? Every sin. All sin. Okay? According to what? The depths of your repentance. How much you cry. How much you, how much you walk down the aisle, pray the prayer? No, according to the riches of His grace, you have nothing to offer God. Me and you both are spiritual beggars, and God, through the riches of His grace, has given us forgiveness of sin and life. What does the next to say? Colossians 1.13. Notice what this says. I believe it's what it is, Colossians 1.13. Man, the kids are being great today. Amen. We got that? Hold on. Have a quiet moment and let that register, will you? Darkness, and he's done what? He conveyed or translated us. Into the kingdom of the Son of His love. At the moment that you come to the place where you stop trusting in something that you have to bargain with, you come to God going, I have nothing. I am just poor, spiritually bankrupt, broken. Why do you think all the, all the harlots and the publicans and the, all those type people flogged Jesus? Cause they recognized they had nothing to offer, yet it was what he was offering them, forgiveness and life through his grace and his love. And at that moment, here's what happens. This is what the Bible says, okay? You are translated. The moment you trust in Jesus, he takes you and he moves you from a kingdom of darkness under the authority of sin and Satan into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son of his love. And now at this point in time, not when you die, but at that point in time, you become a citizen of heaven. You're in a total different kingdom. And God's Spirit fills you and begins to do this work in this transformation. You're like, I really want to drive this home. Because there's a lot of people who go, I, I just feel unworthy. 
and I feel like I can never measure up, and I feel like I can, I can never get there, and here's where I'm at. You're exactly right. We're not worthy. We'll never measure up, and we'll never do enough to get there. And here's the thing. Only His love can get you there. You just have to receive Him. People act like, well, you're saying salvation is that easy? No, it's not easy for a prideful, arrogant, self-willed man to come to the place where I go, I am nothing and I have nothing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry out to Jesus and receive what he's already made available to me. When he walked out of that grave, he proved the fact that he defeated sin and death and he conquered that and he has the power to give life. And he said, if you'll just humble yourself and receive it, I'll give you forgiveness of sin. I'll give you life. I'll pour my love into you. You don't do the work. He's like, I'll translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'll assume full authority over your life and I'll begin to change you. And all you do is receive, 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 receive. Y'all got that? Second one is blessed. I'm going to be done. Just stay with me. Blessed are those who mourn. Like I said, this is successive in order. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So what, what are we mourning about? Because that kind of love that I just explained breaks us. It's a good breaking. You're mourning over the fact of God's goodness towards you because now you go, I wasn't worthy and he made me worthy. I had nothing to offer him and he offered me everything. I hated him and he loved me. I was a nothing and now I'm everything. That's what the love of God does and that's what if a person receives that, it breaks us. This is God's spirit transforming your attitude towards God and your attitude towards sin. Because you recognize it was for our sin that he suffered and died. It was our sin that we are forgiven. He's delivered us from that. This is a biblical definition of repentance. Now think about this, 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. I want you to look at it. A lot of people think that repentance is just being sorry. Well, I went forward, I cried a lot, that's repentance. And I got up and I went on and lived the same life that I've been living. Anybody been there and done that? I have. I walk forward, cry at church camp, walk forward, cry. Lord, I'm sorry. You know, go through the week. God, I, I just made a huge mess of it in my life. Sin is in my life. Even as a believer, listen to me, this time I'm at a believer. I have sin in my life. It's controlling me and it shouldn't. I'm involved in it and I see the destruction of it. Lord, I'm so sorry. And tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing. That's not repentance. Sorry is not repentance. Notice what it said, now I rejoice. That you were made sorry. God's spirit is breaking you. He's revealing this, the sin in your life. He's revealing what is destroying you. Notice what he says, but that sorrow did what? Led to repentance. So wait a second. You're telling me the sorrow wasn't repentance? Yeah. I'm saying when a person, when God's spirit breaks a person's heart and begins to reveal to you the nature of sin and what it's doing to you as a believer, it causes you to do what? Change. The word repentance means change. To turn away from it. That means God's spirit. Here's how you know if you're saved. God's spirit is in you. And you've, I've heard people say, I say, how do you know that you're born again believer? Well, I feel bad when I do things. That's not repentance. That's called a conscience. Everybody has that. Repentance is, I recognize sin in my life, that, that what it has done, what it's caused with Jesus, what it's caused with me, and God's Spirit's like, get this out of your life. 
you now have a different desire. You desire righteousness. You desire holiness. You desire good. You desire to be obedient to God's word. That's what his spirit's doing to you. And you're like, okay, if this is offensive to God, it's offensive to me. And I want to put it out of my life and I'm going to change. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Is that it? There we go. Notice this. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Notice this. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Think about this. The Holy Spirit doesn't put a sorrow in your heart that causes you to self-destruct. The sorrow of the heart, the, the, the conviction, we use the word conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't cause you to hate yourself. It doesn't cause you to wallow in guilt and in shame and to feel bad. What it causes you to do is recognize what sin is producing in your life. It gives you the hope and the comfort. And that's why it says, blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Where does this comfort from, from, come from? Yes, God, God turned on the lights in me. Whoo, it's an ugly mess. But here's my comfort. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'll never be separated from God ever again. That He took up residence in me to clean me up and to set me free from, from the bondage of sin. We sing the song, let the chains go. Many of you are chained to your sin. You're bound in your grave clothes like Lazarus was when he came out and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. That's what God's Spirit's trying to do in you. He's not wanting you to feel bad, feel ashamed, feel condemned because the Bible says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no longer condemnation. God came on board with you, recognize it. It doesn't surprise him when he moves into a dirty house. You understand that? Some of us think that he's getting a condo that's brand new. No, he's, he moved in. When he saved me, he moved into a fallen down shack. And he was good with that. You know why? Because he's the master builder. And he'll, he'll clean us up and he'll change us, you know, and he gives us the new desires of our heart. And we just begin to do what? There again, I have to receive that. The devil does not want you to receive God's grace and God's love and God's promises and God's forgiveness. What is God doing? God's like, I want to heal you. I want to change you. And here's what, here's what God's spirit's doing. He's emptying us. So why would God want to break our heart? He breaks that old heart open in order to empty out the things that are sucking the life out of us. In order that he can fill us with the things of the kingdom. In order that, like Jesus, remember when Jesus prayed, your your Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's like, I want to bring heaven down inside of you. I want you to see the fruits and the goodness and the love and the grace that you're going to experience once you're out of this body. But for now, I'm going to put that in you. But before I can do that, you have to get rid of some of those things. It's taking up all the space in your life. Y'all with me? Okay. So, I just want you to, to be comforted in the fact of when you're a child of God, God's not mad at you. You understand God's not hating on you. God's not mad at you. When you come and you hear a message or when you pick up God's word, God's not waiting for you to go, oh, man, I feel really bad. You know, preach, I, whew, you preached a message more, I felt really bad. I'm like, I don't want you to feel really bad. I want you to be comforted. I want you to be comforted in the fact that God's at work in you and he's going to do something great in your life. If you'll just respond and humble yourself and go, God, I want to, God, you know, a lot of people are like, man, you don't know. I hear this all the time. Just talk to somebody this week. They can't seem to get past their past. 
Like, are you a born-again believer? Absolutely. Has God changed you? Yes. I just really struggle and hold. The devil's always bringing up my past. He's all, why wouldn't he if it works? He just, oh, you, if you just knew the thing I did, I was like, you have no idea who you're talking to. You have no idea, and you ain't going to have no idea of what I've done in my past. And how the devil wants to condemn me. And he wants to bring me down to that. He wants to hold me there. That doesn't give me comfort. Comfort is God knows my past. He also said, I will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I will never bring them up ever again. Your identity is no longer in your sin. Your identity is found in the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, you are a son or a daughter of the living God. A citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I met you where you were and I'm going to walk with you the rest of the way home so let's finish up this is the last one Okay, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth meekness most of you know the definition that is power under control meekness does not mean that you're weak Jesus was meek but he was not weak do you remember what happened when it's in the Gospel of John when they arrested Jesus. You know, that he was there in the garden with his disciples. They looked up and here come men with clubs and torches. And, and they were they were looking for him and said, he went and met them. And he said, who is it that you're looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. You know what his response was? I am. And he said, every one of them fell back to the ground. What was it? Was it why, why did he do that? He wanted them to understand, no man takes my life. I'm going to humble myself according to the will and the plan of the Father. And I'm going to keep the power that I have. Remember, remember, Peter was going to demonstrate his power. He wasn't as meek as Jesus. He pulls out a sword, hacks off Malchus's ear, and Jesus said, put your sword away. Right now, do you not know that I could pray to my Father and he would send a 12,000 angels? I could smoke everybody here in just a word. He could have just decided, I'm going to show you. You want to see power? I'll show you my power. And it would have been over. Meekness means that he knew the will of the Father. He was submitted to the will of the Father, even if that meant dying the death of the cross so that we could be forgiven. So, So meekness is, I'm going to bring my abilities and my power under the control of the Holy Spirit because Jesus is Lord. And so in that, what does that look like? It means that I'm going to surrender to His will and His ways, His word, every day in my life. I'm not going to render evil for evil, but like the Bible says, but blessing. You know, in the ways of the world, we are a people who are driven by pride. We use other people to advance ourselves. We step on others to climb the ladder. We cheat. We lie to attain. You have your certain sinful abilities. Every one of us has some kind of certain power. It might be the power to manipulate. It might be the power to crack somebody. You know, whatever it is. And when you become a believer, what you do, you say, do you lose that power? No, if you crack somebody before you got saved, you can probably do it afterwards. If you manipulated before you got saved, you still have that in you. You can still manipulate. Some of you, you know, whatever it is, we won't go too deep into that. You know what your power is, all right? But here's the thing. You choose to humble yourself to go, I'm not going to try to see what I can produce. 
I'm going to humble myself to the will of the Father. And what it is, I'm trusting Jesus for my life. In every area of my life, I'm going to trust Jesus. Because here's the thing. There's going to be some times in your life to where that means sacrificing. Even, especially, I don't like this part, to be honest with you, even losing for a moment. You know, when you, when, honestly, if you walk with the Lord, your life looks very different. The more that you walk with the Lord, your life's going to look very different from that of the world. And, and, and one of the things, and this is not just me, this is scripture. Dave Rest was like, Lord, how is it that the wicked prosper? You know, it seems like they have everything. You know, everything's great in their life. They're not seeing any kind of trouble whatsoever. Here we are, God. We're walking with you. We're trying to honor you. We're struggling. We're having problems. We're wrestling. We're warring. You know, can't even, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we come up with all this. And it talks about it in, in Psalm, I believe it's 34 or 37, where he said, Fret not yourself against evildoers, for they are like the grass. They will rise up in the morning. They will be cut down. And here's the thing, people, like it says in verse 10, are going to begin to hate on you, say bad things about you, and the devil's going to be like, look at all that you're missing. You know you could have this kind of life if you wasn't following this great king. If you wasn't living by the Bible, and this is what a lot I think happened with American Christianity. We want Jesus. But we want the world, we want the kingdom of the world too. So we're not going to obey the Bible. We're just going to pray a prayer and we're going to still have the world. Isn't that so convenient? Is that person truly saved? Biblically, no. And here's the thing. This is what God wants you to know. You will. Jesus never decorated. I'm almost finished. Two minutes, I'm done. I want you to listen to Jesus never decorated up Christianity. He said, you know what? In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. People are going to persecute you. He even told his disciples, they're going to put you to death because they think they're doing right by that. You're going to, if you look in the study of the book of Hebrews, it said those Christians in that day, early in the early church and all over the place outside of this country that we live in, there are Christians who suffer the loss of everything. No family, no house, no income. People who are in poverty, starving to death because of one thing. They put their faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus said, all these things are going to happen. And it's going to look like you've lost everything for a while. But make no mistake, blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the earth. You're not going to have to con for it, work for it, fight for it, be vengeful for it, manipulate for it, lie for it, be involved in sin for it. He said, you trust me, and I'm going to do what? I'm going to give it to you. The Bible actually says this, and he's not just talking about heaven. He's talking about this life. And I, I have a beautiful story of this. I can't share it with you. wish I could. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'll take away from the wicked, and I'll give it to the righteous. There's a lot of things where you see the wicked pour their lives into having something and making something and doing something. And all of a sudden, God's like, all right, you're done with that. Now that you've got it all prepared, I'm going to give it to my people. That's called grace. That's inheriting the earth. This is my last story, and I want you to remember this. You remember the story of Noah. In the book of Genesis, Noah and his family, you know, the Bible says, Every man's heart was continually wicked before God. It repented God that he had made man. He's going to destroy man. But there was one man who found what? Grace in God's sight. Noah and his family. 
So God comes to Noah because he's going to show mercy to Noah. He's like, I want you to build an ark, a boat, because I'm going to destroy the world and everyone and everything in it. It's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of the day of wrath. Noah's like, it's going to do what? Rain. Remember, it hadn't rained at that time. You're telling me like water is going to fall from the sky, fill up the earth, everybody's going to drown, and you want me to build a boat out here in the middle of nowhere where there's not even a creek close by? A boat that's 120, I think, I can't remember how long it was. Football field, at least, is a big boat. Not only do I want you to build that boat, Noah, I want you to preach the gospel to these people who are watching you and mocking you and ridiculing your family. 120 years. Noah built a little while. The crowds would gather, mock him, ridicule. You can only imagine what he and his family went through. The wrestling in their mind. If I would have been one of his boys, I'd be like, what is my daddy thinking? This is crazy. You know what he did? He kept building. He kept preaching. He kept building. He kept preaching. 120 years, they're like, where's the water, Noah? Been five years, been 10 years, been 20 years, Noah, you just keep on preaching the same stupid message. Look at your life. You lost everything. You're one of the poorest people, and all you've got to show for it is this act of faith in a God you can't see, this boat out in the middle of nowhere. This makes no sense until the first raindrop hit. Now listen to me. You know how the Bible talks about In hell there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible said when it came time that Noah and his family walked into the ark. He walked into that ark, the poorest man on earth. He gave up everything. God shut the door. The people outside laughing, mocking. They've got money. They've got camels instead of cars. They've got clothes. They've got fancy houses. They've got big parties. They're mocking God. They're mocking Noah. And all of a sudden, something that we've never seen before begins to happen. That's what's going to happen on the day of judgment. And when that rain started falling and it got heavier and it started pouring and the ground, the Bible says, broke up and the floods came up from the ground and the floods came down. When that water got to their knees, you know what they were doing? Clawing the side of the ark, begging God, begging Noah, weeping, gnashing teeth. Let us in, let us in. Too late. And God destroyed everything. But you know what? Noah and his family were safe in the ark of God's grace. Picture of Jesus in Christ. He went into the ark, the poorest man on earth. He stayed in there a long time. And when it came time, the ark settled. God opened the door of the ark and he walked out. He inherited the entire earth. God's going to do what God's going to, whatever he says, that's what he's going to come. You might not understand everything, but this is what I know. We just sang it. Great is his faithfulness to us. So I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe, maybe you're going to study this on your own. And as you're looking at this, you can look and go, man, I can, I, I see this stuff going on in my life and, and this makes sense to me now. And I, I see God asking me to let go of some things. Maybe, maybe that's the repentance of your life. Like, you know, I want to hold on to this lifestyle that I'm living, even though it's not godly, but it sure is blessing me physically. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep on living this way because it's gratifying my flesh and God's like, let go. You're like, Lord, you want me to just get, what do you want me to do? Just give up everything? He's like, I do. I want you to give up everything so that I can give you everything. 
If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, I hope you come to the place where you go. I recognize today that I am a spiritual beggar. I have nothing to offer the Lord. When I stand before Him whatsoever, all that I've mustered up is not going to save me. Today, God will save you. If you'll humble yourself and cry out to Jesus, receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness. He loves you. He wants to give that to you. Okay? And maybe you're here and you're wrestling with those other things. I just pray that you'll find some hope in God's Word and as God's people. Yes, we're going to struggle. Yes, we're going to look different. But we ain't living for this kingdom of this world. There's a kingdom coming where one day we're going to be high-fiving each other. And go, you know what? I didn't have nothing there. But I've got everything here. Will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I love you and I thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I thank you, Jesus, for the love that you pour out in us. God, you could have just left us to ourselves. Lord, we could have just been born sinners, lived sinners and died sinners and been in the prison of death. But God, I thank you that you love us and that you intervened and that you brought heaven down and you made a way so that we could receive life and forgiveness. One way, Lord, it's the only way. Lord, I pray for someone here today that's never humbled themselves to receive the gift of your grace and salvation. God, right where they stand right now, Lord, that they would do that. God, and as your people, Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust you to see that you've got good for us. God, that your ways are good, that your word is good. God, that you would give us an obedient heart. We quit fighting against the Holy Spirit in us. We'd recognize, God, that the things that you have for us and the purpose that you have for us far greater than the things of this world. God, we'd be a people who would just let you change us and we'd, we'd learn to receive and let grace do its work in our hearts and our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.